Uh, first thing is if you're planning on staying um, after today, and uh, well, actually, either way, if you're planning on staying or going home and changing, come back. We had lots to do to get this place ready. We got to get the gravel spread out, as you can see now. Like even with this crowd, we're pretty much out of parking, so we're going to figure something out, which is awesome, you know. And, and we got to figure out seats. We have about 225 chairs to move over here. We got about 75 more to go to Canton pick up, so that we have enough seats for you all to sit in, so you can be comfortable when I preach for an hour and 30 minutes next week. Um, because essentially, I'm only going to get about seven today, so you, you know. 137 divided by 2 is about right for where I am. Um, but here's kind of the, the, the reminder. Uh, Ten years ago, they began building this building to be a church in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, let's just start a church right in the middle of nowhere. That's what happened. They built this place. Five years ago, there, I was doing college ministry. Paul was actually working with me, leading worship for this college ministry that we were doing called Thursdays at 8 at Northside, down the road a few miles. And there was just like this... Um, Andy Stanley says that vision is birthed out of the way that things should and could be. And there was just like this desire that I'm like, man, there are so many hurting people, God, and they don't necessarily, I can't convince them to come to church. And if I go to church, I have to go through that routine of not having the right clothes or not feeling comfortable. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I knew that God was doing inside me and inside my family with Julie and I. It was before Briggs was born, before Amelia. And for about three weeks straight, I was waking up every night. I'm not making this up. This isn't supposed to be super spiritual. I just want you to remember this. Um, Three weeks in a row, every night, right at 3 o'clock. I'm not talking about 307. I'm not talking about 310, not 312. It didn't matter what clock it was. Someone that was at my house. Someone was at my in-law's house. Someone was at the Cumberland Island in in St. Mary's, Georgia. But every night, I'd wake up at 3 o'clock. I'd go back to sleep. And every morning, I'd wake up again at 6 a.m., Wide awake. I kid you not, it was six zero zero or three zero zero. And at the time, I was reading a book by Tony Campolo called A Letter to Young Evangelicals. Um, and he basically said that where God was speaking the loudest and the clearest then was in the Gospels. And so I, I was, had a bad toothache. Uh, we were in St. Mary's, Georgia, and I was sitting outside Belk about to go see a, the dentist. We were just down there on vacation, Julie and I, getting ready for a youth camp that we were about to meet some students in Myrtle Beach at. And um, uh, Julie ran inside, and I was sitting there, and I just thought, okay, Lord. I don't know why you keep waking me up at 3 and 6. And so I just happened to open my Bible sitting there in that parking lot. And I went to Luke 3, 6. And this is what it says. In all flesh shall, shall see the salvation of God. And I thought, oh, Lord, that's it. That's what I've been yearning for. Like, it, there's something so much more than just, uh, you know, a, a good show. There's so much so more than just a new car. Like, there's something that we just long for deeply that we cannot find anywhere else than God. And, like, you're telling me that it's possible that all flesh can see it. All mankind can know it. And I'm like, God, that's what I want to buy into. I don't want to buy into a one-fourth. I don't want to buy into one-third. I want everyone to know your salvation, right? And so I began praying and saying, God, what does that look like? And so the, the few verses before that explain it. This is what it says. This is Luke 3, 4 through 6. And it's going to be up here on the screen. This is what it says. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet. And this is where we launched this church out of right here. This is what it says. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And I'll just be honest with you, I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I understood that John the Baptist was talking. I didn't know what that meant for our church. I'm like, no, God, we're going to be in Rome. We're going to be somewhere else. I had no idea. And this is what it says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him, or make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. And in that moment, it was like, it finally made sense. It wasn't that I could save people. 
It wasn't that I could convince people that Jesus was good. The only thing that I could do, the only thing that we could do was just remove the obstacle so that people could see Jesus. And so five and a half years ago, we began the journey in a living room of saying, or actually we actually waited an entire year. So four and a half years ago now, we began the journey in a living room as we prayed and sought God and asked him what it was we were supposed to do. And we began the journey of making it simple for people to connect to God and to each other. We discovered, man, if we could just remove obstacles, then just maybe, maybe someone could see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, everything about them changes. And so for us, it's like, oh, Lord, it's so good that you have John the Baptist sharing this. And, you know, I was, I was researching, and again, very short here, right? Uh, John the Baptist was preaching these things about 18 miles outside the town of Jerusalem. You got to understand, I mean, he was with the outcasts, people who weren't allowed in the city. And so John began this message of hope and truth saying, you're going to know God's salvation. 18 miles from any, any city, 18 miles from the nearest Walmart, you know, like that kind of deal, 18 miles away. In fact, I was trying to do the math, and I think it would take somewhere, depending on how fast you walk and how often you stop, somewhere between six and nine hours to even get where John was going 2,000 years ago. And he stood up and he began sharing this one message of, man, let's prepare the way because Jesus is about to make himself known. And so we sit here and it's like, you know, in some ways it's in the middle of nowhere. This is close to nothing. But it's not far from anything either. And it's like, how about that, Lord? Like 10 years ago, you broke ground on a bunch of concrete we're stepping on right now. And you knew exactly what was going to happen. And so here we are. And the only goal we have, the only goal we're going to continue have, to have is to make it simple for people to connect to God. Because we're going to prepare the way. We're going to make a straight path for him. We're going to move every mountaintop, fill in every valley. We're going to make every crooked path straight. Because God has a promise for us. That if we do that, he'll make known his salvation to all mankind. All flesh will see God's salvation. And we began this deal. And basically we said we didn't want to create another church that church people would just come and attend because they like it better. We wanted to create an environment where people who didn't know Jesus would, would discover him. But something's transitioned for me in the last five and a half years. And it actually happened in Somerville over the last year. Before it was like, man, I want people who don't know Jesus to get to know Jesus, right? That was it. But it's like, no, it's... It's more than just that. It's that I want people to have a family. You know, some of you have, like right now, if something were to happen, you have kids and you, like your brother or your sister is like their godparent, right? Like if something happens, they would take over, like they take care of your kids. And I think, well, I'm so thankful that my family loves Jesus. But some of you don't have that. You know, some of you don't have like your, your, your blood that knows and loves Jesus. And so this is the family that gets to be that, right? So it's not just about whether or not you know Jesus. It's about, man, God wants us to belong together. God wants us to do this together. And what we've discovered is that sometimes people need to belong before they'll ever become. And so the, the, the picture for us is we just want every person we know to be able to have a family. Every person we know to be able to know Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're about to jump back into a little bit of worship. The service is really almost over. Um, and I want, to, I want to explain to you the plan. And I want to explain to you the rest of the day. And I want to read some scripture. Because John the Baptist is actually quoting Isaiah 40. But one of the things that has just become real evident to me. And we have this big black stage. And if you've seen me, you've seen that I have paint all over me. Because I was working on these earlier. Um, so I thought it didn't make a lot more sense for us to kind of declare why we're here. We thought about, do we write scripture on the stage? And no, for me, it's, there's a lady across the street from me. Her name's Ruthie. Just cancer. Has very little family. Doesn't have health care. And lives in a tiny little house with no air conditioning, no heat, none of those things. And I just thought, man, I've lived across the street from her for a year. 
And I've never even thought, wow, I have a whole family she could connect to. Wow, I know a whole group of people who could love her well, who could take care of her. And all of you know those people. Some of you have coworkers that are like, man, he, if he, man, I could see his gifting if he just could see Jesus in it all. And so I thought it made sense for us as we get ready for next week, which is March 3rd, is to remember why this place is here. And it's not so we could come worship. That's really awesome. But it's so that we can make it simple for people to connect to God. And so we're going to have markers all over the front of the stage. And what I want you to do, luckily this is where I get to teach most weeks. I'm just going to write Ruthie's name on the stage. Because I don't want to ever forget why we do this. This isn't to have a fancy building. This isn't because we'll ever arrive. But this is because people don't know a God who's madly in love with them. And so really, I want you to commit to the same thing, whether it's praying or inviting them into this place. I can think of hundreds of other names, and I just really want to challenge you over the next few minutes as we're back in worship. As God lays names on your heart, to write them. There's any place that you see that's black is fair game. Just write it all over the stage, on the front, on the top, on the sides. And I want that to be what you see when you walk in here, because I want you to remember why we do this. It's because there are people who don't know Jesus. And there are people that don't have a family and they deserve to know Jesus and they deserve a family. And so that's what we're going to be. That's why God put us in the middle of two counties right here on the edge is because this is your family. There are people right now that you're going to meet over the next few weeks who are going to become your best friends for the rest of your life and you don't even know they exist yet. It's your family. There are people that are going to come into this place next week. We expect 100 new guests next week. They're going to be our family. We're going to love them well and we're going to spend eternity together. And so there's going to be markers spread out here. Some of the markers haven't been primed yet. You may have to shake them a little bit. I don't recommend shaking them in front of your face. Um, And there's two other things I want to cover, and then I'm going to pray over us. One is, how many of you are planning on, if you're planning on staying and working and planning on not leaving and going and grabbing lunch, if that's you, will you just toss your hand up right now? If you're going to stay here, we're going to cover lunch for you. Drew, Jerry, can one of y'all count those hands? I know you're planning on, just leave them up for the next 30 seconds because we're going to go get pizza and bring it back here and eat here. So, oh yeah, I see more hands. Oh, you're feeding me? Heck yeah. I'm in, you know. So if that's you, just throw your hand up. We'll count you. We'll make sure there's food. We have drinks available to you. Leave them up for about 20 more seconds. There'll be food. We'll probably eat about 12, 12, 15 while we're working. For those of you who didn't come prepared to work today, we'd still love for you to come be a part of it. Keep your hands up for just a little bit longer. Um, Paul, do you feel like they're worshiping right here? They're loving Jesus. Yeah. That's how we get people to worship. How many of you want food? <laughs> that's um, but anyway, um, but here's so, uh, you can put them down now. Uh, we're going, there'll be pizza and drinks here. If you want to go grab lunch because you don't want to eat that, feel free to come back. We'll be here most of the afternoon. A lot of scrubbing will be happening in all of our kids' spaces. We'll be getting the, uh, all sorts of stuff ready. And we'll just be hanging out and becoming a family because that's what churches should do. Um, so let me just read something over you. And then we're going to worship some more. And so that's going on. And I'll explain to you exactly what's going to happen at the very end of this deal. But let me just read this to you. And it's a, it's a good bit of scripture, okay? And this is Isaiah 40, and this is the prophet Isaiah talking about Jesus who's going to come. And he's talking hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes, which is crazy because now we're talking about thousands of years after Jesus came. And it's just declaring the goodness of a guy who's going to love us dearly and invite us into his family. And this is what it says. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says our God. This is Isaiah talking, okay? Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem. 
but also make it very clear that she has served her sentence, that her sin is taken care of, it's forgiven. In other words, hey, will you let my people know that even if they messed up, I've forgiven them. She's been punished enough and more than enough. You've been punished enough. You've been alone enough. We've struggled enough, right? This isn't some prosperity gospel, but we've done enough. We've, we've walked through enough, okay? And more than enough. And now it's over and done with. Thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road straight and smooth. A highway fit for God. Fill in the valleys. Level off the hills. Smooth out the ruts. Clear out the rocks. Then God's bright glory will shine. And everyone will see it. Yes, just as God says, a voice says, shout. And I said, what shall shout? These people are nothing but grass. Their love fragile as wildflowers. The grass withers. The wildflowers fade. If God so much as puffs on them, aren't these people just so much as grass? True, the grass withers and the wildflowers fade. But our God's word stands firm and forever. Climb a high mountain, Zion. You're the preacher of good news. Raise your voice. Make it good and loud, Jerusalem. You're the preacher of good news. Speak loud and clear. Don't be timid. Tell the cities of Judah, look, you're God. Look at him. God, the master, comes in power, ready to go into action. He is going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing to the good pasture who has scooped up the ocean into two hands are measured, who has scooped up the ocean with two in his two hands are measured the sky between his thumb and little finger who has put all the earth's dirt in one of his baskets weighed each mountain and hill who could ever have told God what to do or taught him his business what expert would have gone to would, would he have gone to for advice what school would he attend to learn justice What good do you suppose might have taught him what he knows? Showed him how things work. Why the nations are but a drop in a bucket. A mere smudge on a window. Watch him sweep out the islands like so much dust off the floor. There aren't enough trees in Lebanon, nor enough animals in those vast forests to furnish adequate fuel and offerings for his worship. All the nations add up to simply nothing before him. Less than nothing is more like a minus So who even comes close to being like God? To whom or what can you compare him? Some no-God idol? Ridiculous. It's made in a workshop, cast in bronze, given a thier veneer of gold, and draped with silver villagree. Or perhaps someone will select a fine wood, olive wood, say, that won't rot. Then hire a woodcarver and make a no-God giving special care to its base so it won't tip over. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Have you heard these stories? Haven't you heard these stories all your life? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? God sits high above the round ball of earth. The people look like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. Yes, like a tent canvas to live under. He ignores what all the princes say or do. The rulers of the earth count for nothing. Princes and rulers don't amount to much. Like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted. They shrivel when God blows on them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. So who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy? Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? Who marches the army of stars out each night, counts them off, calls them each by name? 
so magnificent, magnificent, so powerful, and never overlooks a single one. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob? Or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, give, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out, young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. And I don't, I'm, Paul's our prophet. I mean, I really do believe that in terms of our staff. But I'll tell you, like, um, I truly believe that the last five years of preparation is just like a small, tiny bit of what we're about to see. One of the big concerns, and if you've been around for a while, you, you, would, you would agree with this, is that we're really good at creating energy, but we're really also real good at fading out. We're really good at having a next great idea and really good at running out of energy after the deal. And I'll just tell you that you have a, a, a group of elders who I, I fully believe will die doing ministry here. Like, this is it for me. This is where I want to be. This is where we're going to be. This is where family is going to happen. You have a full staff. You have five full staff members fully engaged 40 to 70 hours a week, depending on how bad, how much our spouse loves us those weeks. <laughs> really? Then you got eight other apprentices who have literally given the next year of their life to give 40 hours a week to serve this kingdom for free. We're not going to fade out. Like, this is it. And so you can count on this. You can come back next week and you can sit in a chair. You can have some coffee. You can invite a friend. You can expect it to be incredible. You can expect us to share the good news of Jesus. And you can expect people to respond to it. Every week, you can come with expectation. And so we're going to begin by declaring what our expectation is. My expectation is Ruthie's coming to church here. And she's going to fall madly in love with Jesus and madly in love with her family who God intended her to always have, right? And so that's what's going to happen. And so I want you to be able to do the same thing. So over the next... Over the next 10 minutes or so, as, as Paul and these guys lead us in worship, I just want you to put some names on the stage. I want you to put them on the stage. I want you to declare. I want you to remind yourself what it is. You know, there's one other that I just want to write here. Um, it's not really like a name. It's uh, like more of a, a group, you know, and it's a Dirt Town Deli, right? I mean, every single one of those folks, they're our family. They make some good food. They're loving and caring, and they're just going to be a part of this family. And I'm going to write that down because I'm going to look up next week, and I'm going to expect everybody who's ever made me a sandwich there to be in this place. And so I'm going to invite them all. And so I just want you to, I want you to declare that and trust that God's love is not going to run out. He's going to renew our strength, and it will rise, and it has risen. We've waited on him. We've waited on him. So I'm going to pray over you. Then we're going to sing a little bit more, and then I'm going to give you some marching orders at the end of the steel. Jesus, um, Lord, I, 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 I truly am blown away. Uh, like when I look outside and just see a bunch of cars in the middle of nowhere. God, like I, like I, I heard someone say, God, that that you start revealing your plans once we run out of our ideas. And God, we were all out of ideas, and then you just kind of just laid this out before us, God. Like, who could orchestrate this but you? 
who could take two cities and groups of people that cover every demographic, that cover most every ethnicity, God, and then cover every socioeconomic level, God, in two different geographic areas, every education level, God, who could orchestrate this but you? And so, God, I just am in awe of what you're doing, and God, I just am glad to be a part of it. Just I pray right now for Ruthie. And Lowell, I pray for these folks, and I pray that, um, God, that you give us the wisdom and courage to know who to ask and then to actually ask them and invite them into this family. God, I pray these things, and I believe these things in your name. One other thing I was supposed to tell you, oh, um, guys, amen, I forgot that word. Um, so, you know, like, open my eyes, or not? <laughs> Is um you know in every service we take up an offering and it's not because this church needs your money we've we've used every dime of it over the last couple of weeks know that um, uh, but um but because we believe that our pocketbooks are just as much about our worship than our hands and our mouths are and so the Bible says where your treasure is that's where your heart is and so there's going to be a couple boxes up front is that what those are for no smart. And there's also one in the back. You don't have to do it right the second, whenever that is. We're not going to pass it. We're not going to do those things. And so if you want, as you come to write names, feel free to give as you so faithfully and generously already do. Or as you leave later today, you can do that as well. But that is available and part of our worship time here. And so that's going to happen. Will you just lead us again for a little while, Paulie?